Howdy, folks. I'm fixing to tell y'all about Texas, nicknamed the Lone Star State. I'm particularly fond of these. I pulled them out of a place on Midgard called Texas. Don't mess with Texas. That's the message. I'm Walker. And I'm Texas Ranger. I mean, anything for Salinas. Welcome to this week's episode of Texas Sling for Crazy. This week, we're discussing Charles Albright, the eyeball killer. Before we get started today, I'm going to be honest, this one is really, really, really dark. So if you're a sensitive listener around kids, you might want to skip this episode. The research led me to almost throw up a couple times. Dallas in 1990 was not super family friendly. As always, there are really nice neighborhoods and there are some that are a little bit rougher. Only a couple weeks before Christmas, the neighborhood of Oak Cliff would be the site of a very grisly discovery. The body of Mary Lou Pratt was found with a shot to the back of the head and she'd been badly beaten. She was wearing only a t-shirt and bra. At first, the police weren't really all that concerned in the case. Mary Lou was a known sex worker and in their experience, it could have been either a John or a pimp that killed her getting too rough. There, that was until the local medical examiner began their examination. When she went to gather eye color of the victim, she made a very alarming discovery. There were no eyes in Miss Pratt's head. The eyes had been removed with surgical precision with no outside indication that they'd been removed. It was startling and extremely unsettling. They were really hoping that this was just a one-time thing. It wasn't. On February 10th, 1991, Susan Beth Peterson was found on the same street as Mary Pratt. She was almost nude and found shot in the head, once in the left breast and then again at the back of the head as well. Her eyes were removed. Detectives knew that there was going to be some serious issues here. Both of the initial victims were white and profilers believed that the killer would continue to strike in the same grouping. While white sex workers were panicked, African-American sex workers weren't all that scared. They had a lot of things that they knew that they needed to make money for, so they kind of just kept going. So it was even more alarming when on March 10th, 1991, an African-American woman named Shirley Williams was found dead near an elementary school. Her face had much more bruising, a broken nose. She'd been shot in the face and through the top of her head. Her eyes had also been removed. Thankfully, two beat cops, John Matthews and Regina Smith, were working the Oak Cliff beat, and they knew this local sex worker as well. One night, they encountered a woman named Veronica Rodriguez, who disclosed that she had had one hell of a night. She was sporting a thin knife wound across the front of her neck. She had been picked up by a man for sex, and after driving her south, the man had raped her. He threatened to kill her, but thankfully, she'd escaped the man and been rescued by a friend with the nickname Speedy, better known as Axton Schindler. She said the weird thing was that when she was with Schindler, she had encountered the man who attacked her again, but Speedy had protected her. The problem was Veronica didn't have a very great reputation. She was known for being a pathological liar to get out of different arrests, and she had a major drug addiction. But still, every time she came into contact with the officers, the story stayed the same. Schindler wouldn't confirm her story. Veronica, however, had survived the eyeball killer and she didn't even know it. Local sex workers were very happy to help, which is kind of surprising, but they were working with beat cops, not detectives. Um, they provided, listed their weirdest clients, people who seemed dangerous or hurt them. 
A friend of Mary Pratt's called anonymously and confessed that Mary had been involved with a man named Charles Albright, who had an odd obsession with eyes and a large X-Acto knife collection. At the time of her call, no newspapers had reported on the missing eyes because they were keeping it secret so they could like help identify the killer without having a bunch of copycats. The caller gave the Charles Albright's name and last known address with word from local sex workers and some circumstantial evidence like Albright's preferred brand of condom being found at each of the crime scenes, as well as some taxidermy squirrel hair found at the house and the crime scenes, and Axton Schindler being one of his tenants, the detectives decided to take a look at Albright. Veronica Rodriguez was so spooked by seeing his picture in a lineup that she ended up writing his name on the back of a or writing her name on the back of the photo so she didn't have to say his name out loud while identifying him. At first, Albright seemed like an unlikely suspect. He proudly said he spoke multiple languages and he rented out properties in the Dallas area. He seemed like a pretty stand-up guy based on conversations with his current girlfriend Dixie. However, when digging into the past, there was a lot that seemed to come together. Like almost every aspect of reporting on the story, the blame is almost always put on women. The victims were blamed for their lives as sex workers. In addition, many people put blame on his mom, Del Albright, but that is way too simplistic, y'all. She doted on her adoptive son, raising goats because she heard that the milk was better for her kid. She got him into taxidermy and hunting, which, let's be real, isn't considered that weird if you lived in small town Texas. Like, there's a bar I've been to back home that actually has a picture of a kid who can't be more than seven holding a deer head. So, like, small town Texas, y'all. She was a for his mom, his adopted mom, was a former teacher and had her son practice piano before school. He was so far ahead of his classmates when he started school, he skipped two grades. A lot of where she factors into the story is that she was extremely financially conscious and saved money everywhere she could. That meant that when her son actually got really into the taxidermy she encouraged, instead of buying the glass taxidermy eyes he seemed fascinated by, she gave him black buttons from her sewing kit to use instead. His parents, however, spoiled him. When he was 14, they bought a piece of property and gave it to him. He sold it, bought more lots, and used it to make more money. He also got a reputation. There was a whole story in like a local Dallas paper about how great it was that this kid was, you know, selling land and, and making a profit. But he wasn't a great kid. He received bad behavior reports for shooting rubber bands at people. He once set fire to his chemistry teacher's dress. He failed classes when he said he was too bored to study. But when that happened, he broke into the school office, took reports from the desk, gave himself A's, and then gave those A report cards to his parents instead. He was a master forger of his teacher's and principal's signatures. He got caught breaking into neighborhood churches. He got caught stealing a watch from a small store. When he went to North Texas College in Denton, he got in legal trouble. He was arrested with three other men for being in a theft ring and ended up spending his 18th birthday in jail. However, his parents were really good at keeping things quiet, so no one in town knew what happened. He decided to start over at Arkansas State Teachers College. He made friends really easy, so even when he pulled a seemingly insane prank, people let him off the hook. His friend had recently broken up with this almond-eyed girl who was very pretty. Now that he was dating someone else, he'd gotten a brand new photo of the new girlfriend to keep in his room. But a few days after getting that picture, he realized that someone had cut the eyes out of a picture of his ex and replaced the eyes of his new girlfriend in the picture with those of his ex-girlfriend. He thought that was really freaky, 
looked up and saw that his ceiling was also decorated with pictures of his ex-girlfriend's eyes. And just above the urinal in the like community restroom, same thing. Charlie, who was, he was called, owned up, saying he'd taken the pictures of his friend's ex from the trash can for a prank. Uh-huh, yeah, because that seems sane. He ended up teaching at high school in Crandall, Texas, but there was just one problem. He didn't actually have any degree. He'd been kicked out of school at Arkansas State for stealing suitcases worth of school property and getting caught. He didn't end up on in jail or anything like that. The school kind of let him go, but they did also terminate his attendance. He ended up breaking into three separate offices at East Texas State University using registrar property and created multiple degrees and teacher credentials for himself before putting everything back in his proper place. What the hell, y'all? It's like if that TV show, The Pretender, the guy was like psychotic. Charles was known for mastering things very quickly, but not really being great at sticking to said things. He was a designer for a company that made airplanes, then he became a carpenter, he made baseball bats, he then collected wine bottles, planning to start his own winery, but that was too hard. He went to beauty school and with no experience, somehow persuaded a salon to hire him. And he was a bullfighter for a hot minute in a Mexican border town, if the posters are to be believed. He even became a painter for a short period of time. And one of the weirdest things he did was get paid to paint a picture of his friend's wife. And after a long enough time period had passed and nothing had been turned into his friend, his friend went to the house and found that Charles Albright had painted everything in the picture except the woman's eyes. He said he needed to focus on that area to make it perfect. Creepy. One of the most disturbing crimes that he's accused of was the molestation of a young girl who's a family friend. Her family tried to keep it quiet so they didn't have to put her through a lot of things, but they still went to court. And Charles Albright claimed that he confessed to the crime just to keep it from being something bigger. He ended up getting less of a sentence for that than his probation for his other crimes. Like, what the hell? Um, many people believe Charles Albright killed the women because they were sex workers. He was said to have been caught telling a co-worker he would kill all prostitutes if he could. There are some rumors, mostly started by Charles himself, that his biological mother may have been accused of prostitution. Albright told the police he didn't know any sex workers personally, but the truth is he regularly visited them, even having standard weekly appointments with some. Well, when they searched his home, um, as far as the police, they never recovered the eyes, but they did find a lot of very strange things, including a copy of Grey's Anatomy, dozens of true crime books, which who doesn't have those, exacto blades and woodworking blades, and there was a hidden compartment behind his fireplace mantle that was filled with pistols and rifles. As of this recording, Albright is currently incarcerated in the John Montford Psychiatric Unit in Lubbock, Texas. He's about in his 80s. Um, there is so much more to the story, but we're a short snippet kind of podcast just to kind of introduce you to people. While this story gives me the heebie-jeebies, some listeners might want to take a deeper dive, and there are a few sources that I highly recommend you check. Um, one of those is the Texas Monthly Story, See No Evil, by the amazing Skip Hollinsworth, who does incredible work for them. It's pretty much the reason that I've subscribed to Texas Monthly. As well as there's a three-part episode series um, called, I believe it's Lone Star Lunatics. It's the Texas Eyeball Killer, and it's from the podcast All Crime, No Cattle. They are amazing. Um, definitely check that out. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. 
You can find basically all of our sources at txlangforcrazy.com. We also have a book out that is available on Amazon, and that's Texas Slang for Crazy by Victoria Irwin. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Thank you.